Welcome back to part two of the Nothing Never Happens podcast. Lucia Holsether and I are the co-host, and we're talking today with Jill Herman Wilmarth and Caitlin L. Ryan, the authors of Reading the Rainbow, LGBTQ Inclusive Literacy Instruction in the Elementary Classroom. Yeah, this may be a good place to mention your award-winning article from 2013. You got the um, article of the year from the American Educational Research Association's Queer Studies Special Interest Group for your article, Already on the Shelf, Queer Readings of Award-Winning Children's Literature that is in the Journal of Literacy Research, uh, where you talk about um, uh, De Camillo's uh, Tale of Despero and and other texts like uh, Bridge to Terabithia. Um, and I think in the book you talk about Harry Potter too, whether, you know, may not be overtly. <laughs> overtly right. I always, I always laugh. Harry Potter lived in a closet. Come on now. Like, here's <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and that, I mean, I think that article um, was our, was really, Really, our theoretical beginning for the work that we were doing in classrooms. Um, mm-hmm. So we can imagine these things, and we talked with these, you know, these three teachers really about that article, and they're like, "Yeah, let's do it, right?" And so, and you see, in these classrooms, it looks really different, right? Mm-hmm. Marie is queer, and reads as queer when you look at her, right? And so, she's doing things in the classroom. I mean, her queer, she uses her queerness as a teacher as a as a strength. Right. It mm-hmm. it situates her. It situates her as someone who's always going to be interested in social justice and um, and it and it's embodied, you know, and, and Rose is an ally and um, and can do things in different ways because of that. And 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 Barbara was in a in a school that um, we had to really uh, my approval to get into that school was very. Oh, I'm interested in teachers who like multiculturalism, mm-hmm. who are interested in helping all students, right? And so they're all three in different kinds of contexts, um, but read that work and thought, oh yeah, I want to see what that looks like. And um, and really, I mean, in Barbara's class, it was a, I mean, another Kate Camillo book, um, oh my God, uh, because of Winn-Dixie, right? And so we were able to, we talked about gender and we talked about gender performance um, in fascinating ways with these young second graders, um, mm-hmm. which led to really interesting discussions. Now, were we talking about LGBT stuff explicitly? She did not feel like we could. And so, but what we did, I think was powerful work um, and it looked different because it had to. Um, so that, that article was really the theoretical beginnings of the work that we, the empirical work that we were doing with teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love to think of Max and, and where the wild things are as like oh, yeah, every, send every queer kid who like creates their own world where they feel safe, right? And, and travels mm-hmm. back and forth. It's such a queer thing to do. So, <laughs> you know, someone knows children's literature when they go, oh, yeah, send deck when we're talking about things that are queer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> and apocalyptic. But that's another. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sometimes same, same. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, you know, 
think about, so we're talking about, we've been talking about the elementary school classroom, um, but obviously y'all also are teaching in college classrooms, doing um, teacher education. So I, I think it would be great to hear you reflect on how your research and writing and teaching um, around queering, queering elementary school literacies and texts have mapped onto your thoughts about pedagogy in the college classroom mm. um, and mm. what what kind of yeah what what has become visible to you what are you thinking about right now as far as your own pedagogical practice with um, young adults unfold you yeah. know it's, it's interesting I, I, that's a really interesting question I mean I did say that for 20 mm -hmm. years students have been saying the same thing about uh, you know appropriateness and and gay things but but I was I was in conversation with our one of our colleagues um, Lee Ayrton who has a great book that everyone should read called gender your guide but they were speaking at Western a couple of years ago and talking to them about some transphobia happening in a school that I knew about. And I said, what would your approach be? And Lee said, um, see that parent as the deficit. And I thought, what a, what a different way to think. And so as a professor who really, I mean, I teach classes that ask students, to, not all students, but a lot of students to think about things that they haven't been asked to think about before. Like most um, teacher education programs across the country, especially in elementary ed, my students are not all, but mostly white, not all, but mostly female, not all, but mostly middle class. Um, and so I approach um, students who are nervous about talking about race, about talking about sexuality, about talking about, uh, I'm teaching a social studies methods class right now about, oh, that's a risky topic or that's a controversial. No, it's actually maybe to you, but to the rest yeah. of us, this is just what we talk about. And, well, and it's, it's just what we live too. It's not what we live. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I have found that to be very, I mean, yesterday, actually yesterday in class, um, a student was talking, works at a daycare and was talking about one kid said, well, my daddy says that it's wrong for, or bad for uh, two boys to get married. And she said, and I didn't really know what to say. And I said, well, your job, right, is to think about how that lands on the other kids in the room, mm. right? And so um, when we start to just have it, that be our lens that we're, how does this land, right? And so for me, access to that sort of knowledge is because I'm queer and I know how it lands on me. So if mm -hmm. I am a super privileged queer person who, you know, has, a, you know, access to lots of things in life, um, afforded to me because of my whiteness, then, mm -hmm. then if I'm thinking about th that, then my work is to really help students see how all these little identity pieces mm -hmm. and big identity pieces, part of our work when we are encountered with something that seems strange to us is to think about how it's not strange to lots of people and then to mm -hmm. sit with that. And what happens when more people, you know, when there are fewer people who think who have the experience of privilege what does it sound like when i speak what does it mm -hmm. sound like when i don't interrupt someone saying your family is bad hmm. right and so to be able one to speak to that from 
from, you know, like Marie, I use my identity as not a deficit um, in some ways, but, mm-hmm. but to be able to speak to that from, hey, kids can talk about this, right? So in a teacher education classroom, we often have kids who, students, not kids, students who say, mm-hmm. but kids, kids can't handle that, but they can. Oh. And so showing them examples from classrooms, I've had a Rose bring her fourth and fifth graders to my college classroom. And last, I just, last spring we talked about the Parker inheritance, which is another book everyone should read, but it addresses issues of race and homophobia and, and class. And, um, we're just sitting around talking and history, right. And talking about it in my social studies methods class and kids were, you know, at one point I said, okay, young students, grownups think that you can't handle this. Tell the grownups in your group why you can, right. And just Pretend like they don't think you can. I don't know if they do or not, but tell them why you can. Mm-hmm. After their class left, one of my students said, I could have never talked about this as a fourth grader. Yeah. And I said, did anybody ever offer you the opportunity? So we right. have these ideas about what kids can and can't do, but mm-hmm. we don't ask them to do it. You know, uh, Dr. Christopher Emden, who wrote For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood and the Rest of You All Too, which is a great book and really helpful, talks about this idea. I mean, it's really situated in fair and pedagogy, right? Like if you have this idea of what people are and then try to come and liberate them as opposed to asking them what they need and then trying to help provide that need, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're going to miss the boat, right? And so this idea of thinking that kids cannot do something is going to stymie your teaching. So if you think about what kids can do and what Caitlin and I have tried to do in a lot of our work is provide portraits of practice of that. Like, see, you can do this. This is what these kids say. Um, And that is really, I'm talking for a long time here, but that has really come into my teacher education classroom a lot. And it, it, it's been, I think, powerful for my undergraduate and graduate students to see um, that just opening the conversation, kids hear these things, they want to, I'm sorry, there's a lawnmower going by, they want to talk about these things, mm-hmm. they won't if you don't provide the space for it. Uh, yeah. yeah. The other thing I just add to that, I totally agree with what Jill said, um, is that, you know, Jill, you were talking about Friarian pedagogy and thinking about, you know, if you ask people what they need, and I think that that's exactly right, and, not even yeah. but, but and, that in, in my case, or in the way that I've been thinking lately is about um, asking marginalized people what they need. So so many of our students, so I I think when I started off in in teacher education, um, you know, I do believe that education is about meeting people where they are and, you know, and, 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 you know, going there and then helping people move along and develop in in that sort of Deweyan way. But at the same time, I think I, I overprivileged my white students in particular, mm-hmm. this um, Christian able-bodied students in particular. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I need to meet them where they are, and I need to, you know, help them see. And like, so it was very gentle, and it was like, you know, I know this is hard, and I know this, and I don't do that as much anymore. And I think a lot of um, people have helped me think through that, critical race theorists and other people, um, because, like Jill said, I'm interested in privileging the marginalized voices, and I'm interested in serving the needs of my marginalized students, and mm-hmm. then students, the marginalized students that my students will teach. And so I am less interested in making sure that I meet your feelings. 
privileged yeah. white students exactly where they are because we we don't have time like and it's not just a time issue it's just this idea of like your voice doesn't get privileged here too um and your so, voice is a deficit here i think right yes, so exactly you yes. need things to break yeah. you have some work to do um this is this space cannot all be about you um mm -hmm. and, so, and it's hard i mean there's a balance because you know as we know teacher identity work is hard and i value the work that that people are putting in, you know, across all identities, to become a teacher and to embody that um, that identity and to to take on those practices. Um, but it is about trying to center the voices of marginalized peoples um, across identity categories. That 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 reframing has changed the way that I approach different topics and the sort of leeway I give to people about how hard they think it is or how important they think it is because it's extremely important and we need to do it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so what does this um, full inclusion in the classroom look like? What's what's the ideal classroom for you? In, in both um, an elementary classroom or, or early middle school classroom to um, a teacher education, pre-service teacher education classroom? For me, one of the things that I think about is that um, we're putting we're putting learning to work, right? So, um, you know, I, I like to say to my students when I teach things like reading methods, like we do not learn to read and write to move up a level. Mm. Purpose, right? And and I think if you go into a lot of schools today, like that's what you that's the message you get, right? That's mm -hmm. to get off of green, or we're doing this to to be at the six hundreds, or we're doing this to get more AR points. I mean, it's always about a school-based reason. And I think for me, part of an ideal is about situating those skills and practices as part of becoming empowered people. I mean, it's a critical literacy classic thing, right? About becoming empowered to communicate, about becoming empowered to critique ideas and to speak back and to advocate and to learn about others and to take in new perspectives. And so, um, and to take action, right? Yeah, absolutely okay. to take action. And so yeah. that's something that um, I'm working hard on in my teaching um, and that I think is important in both teacher ed classrooms as well as K-5 or K-12 classrooms is how are we using, how are we learning things in order to do work with them in the world on behalf of marginalized people and to interrupt systems of power? Yeah. Yeah. So Freire's the word and the world again. Absolutely. It's praxis, praxis. right? Uh, it's praxis. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I think just lots of authentic reading, right? Like lots of authentic yeah. experiences where kids are, kids are choosing, kids are challenging each other, kids are, you know, to both do read and write things that reflect them and also read and write about things that stretch them. I mean, I think that that balance of feeling seen and feeling recognized and feeling like you have a place while also thinking through some of those structures and learning about others and, and building I mean it sounds really like SEL kind of soft I don't really mean it in that way but you know building empathy and building mm -hmm. um, perspective and, and, and building capacity really to ask questions um yeah one, yeah. one of our um we cited a lot in the text that what's what's Missy Lewis and et al's book called mm -hmm. Caitlin critical literacy something something it's you yeah. know I can't remember, I could tell you later, but, but, you know, Barbara read that as a student in my master's degree class and she went directly to her uh, second grade classroom and put on the wall, 
these questions, like Mm -hmm. whose story is being told, whose story is not being told. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and they, those second graders started asking those questions when she would forget, they would put their hand in the air. Somebody, every time I was in that room, you forgot whose story is missing. Right. And so, so teaching our kids, I mean, at seven, right. Teaching our kids to ask those questions. And surely if a seven-year-old can ask those questions, our pre-service teachers can ask those questions. And then we can teach them to teach their students to ask those questions. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. huh, what message is being, what, what message is being told? I mean, this is an example from, from Rose's class that is a paper that is under review right now that I wrote about, um, we have been doing all this gender work. I walk in the afternoon and one of the kids is in the office because he had slugged another kid who had chased him around the playground telling him he was a princess. Okay. So what have we been saying? You know, we've been saying about using identities to make fun of other people. And then Rose just asked, for whom is it? The kid kept saying, but it was a joke. Well, for whom is this a joke? Mm-hmm. Right. And so teaching kids to ask questions not only of their peers, but of themselves, right? For whom is this a problem? For whom is this okay? Um, And Mm -hmm. one thing I I ask my student, my pre-service teacher students to think about is, who are you thinking about when you're planning? What parents are you, what parents are you nervous about? If you're always nervous about the same ones, you're not serving all of the parents. Right. So sure. Sometimes be nervous about that parent who's going to come in and as Rose had happened to her and yell homophobic things at you. Right. Mm -hmm. Be nervous about that parent and figure out how you're going to negotiate it and how you're going to um, stand up and say, actually, this is what I do as an expert in education in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And this is why I'm doing this. And also be nervous about me, (laughs) Jill, (laughs) you know, and like and plan for for me to come in and say, hey, I've noticed that my kid has not been one time reflected in your classroom. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And be ready for that. And so to me, a truly inclusive classroom is one where a teacher is thinking those things. How can I make sure my students are reflected? How can I make sure that when a student says a word or when I say a word that further marginalizes um, a student who doesn't have power outside of this classroom, even if they might find it some way in this classroom. What do I, what am I doing about that? How am I making sure? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think to me, um, asking critical questions, um, Mm -hmm. of ourselves and of our students and of each other is what makes a truly inclusive classroom. Yeah. One thing that I'm, oh, one thing that I'm hearing as well is not just students, not just students asking questions of themselves and each other, but questioning, questioning their teachers. So this, this yes. example of the questions being on the board, that an inclusive classroom is the one where students themselves, not just parents, not just teachers, are speaking back to the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Jill, yeah. when, students are, when students are truly at the center, then they should be welcome to ask those kinds of questions, right? Yeah. This idea of student-centered curriculum, let's make it actually that, yeah. 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 Jill, and, a story and, about um, pronouns. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, about um, Rose using pronouns for a, one of the transgender characters I think they were reading about, or I don't remember if it's just a, an activity that you're working on um, different pronouns for different people. And so we could 
they could practice honoring the pronouns um, that people use. And when Rose got it wrong, like all the kids being like, that wasn't right, right? And so she got to <laughs> what you do when you get someone's pronoun wrong, which is mm-hmm. on. Um, but you know, that sort of the kids being aware and being able to speak back to the teacher definitely helps, I think, um, solidify their learning about those ideas. And the teacher being welcome to that, right? Like Rose saying, thank you, mm-hmm. right? Like, ah, you're right, I'm wrong. So I think that's, you know, we have this, you know, there's a lot of cultural mythology about school. And one of them is that the teacher knows everything. And so we need to disabuse ourselves of that notion, I think, first, right? Yeah, creating those brave spaces for that to happen. Yeah. Um, But, you know, as I'm listening to this, as uh, a teacher in higher education in a field, I teach one education course, but the rest are in religion and in uh, religion and social justice. And so shouldn't this, what's happening in your classes, um, flow into all disciplines in higher education and it not just be the in the domain of uh, gender, women's sexuality studies and teacher education and Africana studies and, you know, um, all the more marginalized studies. I mean, shouldn't it be in biology and philosophy and religion? I mean, yes. Yes. Um, I I mean, it absolutely should be. And and part of that is learning to ask critical questions of ourselves and our discipline, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Caitlin and I, I guess, edited an issue of Theory into Practice that came out in this past spring and one of our favorite articles by Kristen Gunkel in that in that issue was about queering science ed right and so Mm -hmm. she really puts forward this like this is what we do and here's how it's scientifically wrong Mm -hmm. and it's brilliant um and also we know that the the sciences are sexist are full of like all of these issues and so um what happens when people start doing that critique I think it shifts people will I I teach a class called school and society and everyone um has to who's getting almost everyone not everyone but almost everyone who's getting certified k-12 has to take it and I will have the students who are training to be math and science teachers say this has nothing to do with me right and um, one, Dr. Emden, Christopher Emden is a science educator, so he has been really helpful to me. But, but mm-hmm. um, I, I say all the time, if you don't care about who your students are, they do not care about your content. And unless you start to think about how these, these issues of justice, these issues of how students mm-hmm. are living their lives outside of our classrooms come into our classrooms, how the classroom is the real world and you are really mirroring a world that our students who have marginalized and multiply marginalized identities um, experience, they're going to reject your content just as much as they reject um, things in the outside, outside of the school that make them feel that they don't have a space. And so, yes, we need to start thinking about how this has something to do with all of us in every discipline. Um, but I don't know, to me, it's hard to figure out how to do that because um, as education professors, I know I know from you know experience and my, and my colleagues across campus, not all of them, of course, but education professors aren't seen as real researchers. Gender and yeah. women's studies is um, at my university at least, 
there are a ton of grad students, grad students are great. Adjuncts are great. But when we do not give the number of faculty that meets the number of students who want to be taking those classes, we are taking power away from that discipline. So it's, yeah. I mean, the scam is structural. It's everywhere. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a part of it, I think. Yeah. Well, um, what kind of com uh, conversations has your book generated? since it came out in 2018, what what kinds of feedback are you getting, pushback, um, engagement? We're, we would always love to hear more from people who have read the book and who have um, maybe even tried out some things in their classroom. So we're very open to that. So if anyone listening um, has the book and wants to share perspectives with us um, or wants to share things about how things have gone in their classroom, that's great. Um, we have, uh, a co-publisher on this book so it was it was published by Teachers College Press but also with GLSEN um, which is a national nonprofit organization that um, supports LGBTQ topics in schools and um, they have been using this book in some of their trainings and sending it out to some of their membership and so it's been really nice because they are often connected to an audience that we're not always connected with and so um, that's been really really nice to see people who are members of GLSEN who get the book and are excited about it. Um, go ahead, Jill. Oh, I was gonna say that we um, we did a workshop with some teachers yeah. and librarians in Illinois in the spring, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing, we never thought of librarians as our target audience, but wow, librarians are where it's at. They, <laughs> they are yeah. taking it up and thinking about how they can do um, queer inclusive literacy practices in, in their own libraries and how they can support mm -hmm. teachers in doing this. Um, and, and we're next week actually gonna be in Eastern North Carolina to do some more of that work. And mm -hmm. um, it, it feel, to me, that feels, it feels really exciting. It feels, we've been hearing from teachers at conferences that um, especially the, the, you know, that middle querying, which we always thought of as the most complex, but that might be the way in for lots of mm -hmm. teachers who don't know the way in. And so we've mm -hmm. been, we haven't been getting, we haven't heard pushback. We are welcoming of pushback, but we've been hearing teachers who are-, are We're welcoming of non-homophobic pushback. We're welcoming, you know- right, Yeah, we, we don't really care about your homophobia, but, yeah. but <laughs> one of the things that I keep thinking, I'm so interested to hear from teachers how what are how our ideas how they take them farther than we could imagine because yes. teachers are brilliant and we really are interested this is we're just saying these are some ideas that we had and this is what we done we've done and here are some theories that back up these ideas i'm so curious how how it gets pushed farther than we could imagine because i know that it will be um so we're excited mm -hmm. to sort of that i think that's part of our next work as we, we took a little, well, I say we take it, took a break, but we, we put a lot of stuff out there in the last year, but, um, but to really our next work, I think, is to see, okay, so what's happening with this? We know teachers are reading this. We know teachers uh -huh. are, we know librarians are reading this. So what's happening next? And I, we kind of can't wait to see what that looks like. Yeah. One of the, one of the other audiences I think that was, um, has been really helpful for this text is um, other teacher educators. So mm -hmm. our, that our book is getting assigned a lot in teacher education courses and we're really really appreciative and thrilled about that um 
we have a lot of teacher education colleagues who are also very, very open to this work, but didn't always quite know themselves how to handle it with their own students, right? Especially for our straight colleagues. Um, they, they were often on board with the idea that they wanted their students to think about LGBTQ topics, but they didn't feel like their own lived experiences or their knowledge about resources was strong enough to really lead students in that kind of exploration. And so it's been nice to know we that- We our- speakers a lot. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, we, we Skype into lots of classrooms and we, we like to. It's interesting to hear how similar people's questions are across many different geographic and other kinds of contexts. Um, we're really glad that our book can be a tool for other teacher educators so that even more pre and in service teachers are getting um, some of these ideas and some of these tools. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to time. Any last questions or comments? You had asked us to think a little bit about. Um, you know, sort of next steps and directions or challenges. And I think that this issue of scale is a big one. Mm-hmm. Right? There are lots of teachers in this country, let alone in this world, and lots of lots of schools. Um, and so I think what we're finding now is how can we how can we work with others to support more people, right? There are some really great organizations out there. So Listen is doing great work. Um, a Queer Endeavor in Colorado is doing great work. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of of groups that are are really working with teachers to change schools. Um, so how can we continue to sort of spread that work? And then I also think that there's a sort of a shift, kind of like the mirrors to windows kind of balance. Mm-hmm. Jill mentioned uh, our colleague, um, Lee Ayrton, and they say that, they point out in their book that everyone has a gender, right? And and everyone has sexuality, even if you identify as asexual, right? So thinking about this work being about particular people and changing that, sort of expanding that to work that everyone needs to do to think about yeah. to expand categories for all people, um, whether you identify as queer or not, you know, how are the ways that we can all have more room to live as the genders and sexualities and the experiences in life that we, we have and we are? Um, And I think the other thing that is really, really, really important is this idea about intersectionality, right? So Mm -hmm. are getting better for many, many um, LGBT folks in this country, but there are also places and categories of people, particularly trans women of color, but certainly not only them, that are still suffering and still being treated extremely unfairly and still being marginalized and often um, violated. And that is not okay. Right. So how can our work, um, yes, support, you know, white families with two moms, um, but also how can our work support all queer people and have students think about and question the kinds of systems that make um, life really challenging and really unfair um, for people, particularly those with multiple marginalities in their own identities. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been so wonderful to talk to you, and it's given us a lot of challenges in our in our own fields and classes. Um, so thank you for your book and for your work and your continued work. Um, and uh, we wish you the best as as you work for justice. Um, you know, the forward to your book, um, Mariana Sutomaning. Uh, said, will you commit to justice in and through your teaching? Mm. And I think that's the challenge 
she says of your book and I think uh, the challenge you give all of us. So thank you for that challenge. Well, thank you so much for having us and for asking the good questions and for providing such a such a space for learning with your podcast. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. I want to thank my producer, China Wilson, and my audio engineer, Aliyah Harris. The music in the intro and outro is by Aviva and the Flying Penguins, composed and orchestrated by Lance Eric Hagen. The outro music on part two is by Paul Myrie. It's called Broken, and it is available on ReverbNation.com. Thank you.